0: songs that can accompany that theme and I thought it'd be important to read that theme that short theme that uh, I sent to her uh, 20 years ago no a a little while ago and uh, that might put this uh, message in perspective a little bit for you and here's what I had written I it took one day for the Israelites to leave Egypt Yet it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. The Israelites should have been thankful for God's miraculous delivery from 430 years of slavery. But after their deliverance, they complained about almost everything. Are we tempted to stay in Egypt too? Or are we open to God's leading even when the going gets tough? and we lose sight of the promised land. And I like the book of Exodus because not only is it a historical account of how God rescued the Israelites from those 430 years of slavery, but there's a lot of symbolism in there that we should be able to identify with. And in a very real way, I hope when we read some of those Stories and chapters in uh, the book of Exodus, uh, when we do that from time to time, maybe for our personal devotions, we can kind of place ourselves in the desert at the time of the Exodus and accompany the Israelites on that journey and learn from them and hopefully not always emulate them. Dear people of God, when I was 13 years old in 1957, an uncle visiting us in Holland, Michigan, where we were living at the time, took me to see Cecil B. DeMille's Hollywood blockbuster film, The Ten Commandments, starring Charlton Heston and Yul Brenner. And I was enthralled. I was sure that Moses must have looked exactly like Charlton Heston, and that Yul Brynner was a spitting image of the biblical Pharaoh. And while sitting on the edge of my seat in the park theater, I was convinced that the 10 plagues happened just as Hollywood portrayed them with the use of the latest special effects. And when Charlton Heston raised his staff and the Red Sea parted, I was convinced that that must have been the way it really happened. The special effects, the latest technology, were almost true to life. And as a 13-year-old, that film gave me goosebumps and brought those events from Exodus to life for me. And I especially... Remember being mesmerized by the portrayal of the day of the exodus, following the night of the Passover, and the angel of death slaying the firstborn of Egypt and passing over the homes that had blood smeared on the doorposts. After 430 years of slavery, that must have been quite a day. Thousands of Israelites on the brink of a new adventure. A commentator wrote of that day this way, what a glorious night it was when God rescued his children from the clutches of an evil dictator. While they ate, God went to war on their behalf. In the morning, Pharaoh was resolved to set them free Pharaoh's women were content to give them gold, silver, and all manner of jewelry. For 400 years, Israel lived in bondage. In one magnificent night, they were free. They didn't know what lay ahead, but anything was better than the life of a slave, or so you'd think. They were free. God was going to lead them to a land flowing with milk and honey. They would be able to govern themselves, recover their faith in the one and only God, Jehovah. And all they had to do was believe in God's promises, obey Him, have faith in Him through the thick and thin of the journey. That commentator goes on and says, Israel had suffered horribly. Under the oppressive leadership of Egypt, all manner of personal liberties had been taken away. They were not free to live, work, relocate, or worship as they thought best. Every day the cries of Hebrew men could be heard following the the crack of Egyptian whips. The cries of Hebrew women filled the night as one mother after another mourned over the fact that their male babies had been discovered, snatched, and drowned in the Nile River. But that was past now. That was past. They were free, free at last. They didn't belong in Egypt, it wasn't their home. Joseph knew that when Jacob and his family first settled there. Joseph had requested that his bones be buried in the Promised Land. And the Israelites had taken them along on the night of the Exodus. A pilgrimage through the desert lay ahead of them, but they also probably knew that they weren't going to stay there either. They didn't belong in Egypt. They didn't belong in the desert. They were going to the promised land. And there they would find peace and rest. And all they had to do was trust, obey, and follow. Proverbs hadn't been written yet, but that verse in Proverbs 3 5 and 6 comes to mind. All they had to do was trust in the Lord with all their heart and lean not on their own understanding and all their ways. All they had to do was acknowledge Him, submit to Him, and He would direct and make their path straight. But you know the story. Their appreciation for God, their freedom, the promises of a better life, didn't really take firm root in their hearts and in their minds. They couldn't get Egypt out of their minds. Physically, they were out of Egypt, but their hearts were still there. That cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night didn't give them the confidence in their God, that he was with them, that he had their backs. Chris and I often watch the HGTV network. And if you're familiar with the programs on that network, you know that many of those programs focus on remodeling and renovating. Remodeling an entire home, perhaps just one or two rooms, depending on what the homeowners have planned and what their budget is. And the highlight of each of those shows is the before and after reveals. The remodeling and the renovation is finished, the homeowners have not been present during the remodel process, and they enter their home after the months that it took to do the remodel, and they're often overwhelmed as the front door opens overwhelmed at the changes that have been made. And as they're led from room to room, we're shown the before picture on television, of that room before the transformation. And then we're shown the after picture of the completed renovation on the television screen. And the homeowners are often speechless, They can't believe those renovations were possible, and their response is often, is this really my house? They can't even sometimes picture how it used to be before the remodel. And often they can't find the words to express their excitement and their wonder and their gratitude to the renovators for the work that they accomplished. And you'd think, That after 430 years of slavery and a night to remember before the day of the Exodus, you would have thought that the Israelites would have remembered the before and would be eager to follow God's leading after. But they didn't. They didn't. The before began to look better and better almost immediately, and at times they even longed for it. And the after and the promises it held quickly faded. As the Bible tells us in Exodus 14, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, And the Israelites probably saw the latest weapons of war that Pharaoh had at his army, had at his disposal, and his army with him. And he had only one thing in mind recapture the Israelites, or if that didn't work, to destroy them. And the Bible says they were terrified. They were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. The before, the before was looking better and better already. And they hadn't even gone very far yet. And then the after is revealed. Moses, instructed by God, raised his staff, the sea parts, Israelites cross on dry ground, Pharaoh follows, you know the story, the wheels get stuck, they all drowned, end of pursuit. The Israelites wipe their brows, they're ready to go on. A song of thanksgiving is sung by Moses and Miriam. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Wonderful time. Wonderful time for the Israelites. And you'd think they'd get back on track, resume their journey. Their fears have been erased. All is good. They're back on track. Not so quick. Not so quick. Three days later, the next crisis, Exodus 15. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. They went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will bring... I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. They had failed the test, but God is faithful. God is long-suffering. Next crisis. You'd think they'd learned their lesson, but they haven't. Next crisis, chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Shin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Another before picture. A before picture, would look, which looked so good, even though it probably wasn't. But their memory of slavery is getting more and more faint. Then the after, God provides, provides manna, provides quail, and this goes on and on. You know that history. The memories of life before the exodus, each time a crisis confronts them, begins to look better and better. Then they cry to Moses and Aaron and to the Lord, and provision is made because God is faithful, His grace is is sufficient. And he intervenes with blessings time and time again in the after. Grumbling, dissatisfaction, wishing they were back in Egypt. God intervenes in the after. Blessings, provision. But there's more to it, the story of the Exodus Exodus, and simply a journey across the desert by some short-memory people who complain all the time, and God patiently filling their requests with his love. It's a teaching story. If you're a student of the Bible, and I trust many of you are, it's a teaching story, teaching repentance to a non-repentant people. It's a story of deliverance, delivering a people out of bondage. It's a story of God's people rejecting a mediator, Moses. It's a story of God bringing glory to himself. It's a story of God's anger and judgment with a whole generation never seeing the promised land. It's a story of faith, a journey of faith that we're all involved in, in this journey we call life. Faith, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. A journey of faith beginning with a crisis in the lives of God's people, slavery in Egypt. A journey from a crisis faith to a continuous faith God walking with his people it's a journey of exercising their faith which the Israelites failed at time and time again it's a journey of God teaching those people and his people today to be confident in their faith and living it by confirming it each and every day of our lives. It's a story of Jesus, our mediator, and our deliverer, our deliverer from the slavery of sin, our journey through life, and God's gracious leading through every day of that journey. It's a story we can learn from. It's a story we can have faith in, it's about a mediator we can have faith in, Jesus. It's a story of the before and the glorious after. Someone has said, as I read in the theme, that it took only a day to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. So what are the lessons for us? Besides putting ourselves in that journey, not physically, but that journey of faith, that journey of testing, walking with the Israelites through the desert. What are the lessons for us? What stuck in the minds of the Israelites that made them want to go back to Egypt and be before people instead of trusting God and becoming after People Being before as a slave and being after people when God continually reveals himself and his grace over and over again. Six things, very quickly, that kept them, the Israelites, and maybe infiltrates our lives from time to time as well six things that kept them from becoming after people and made them look back at the before. The first thing, Israel had forgotten God's gracious rescue. Israel had forgotten God's gracious rescue. Israel and us as well are saved and rescued from the slavery of sin due to God's grace and unmerited favor. Romans 5 said, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, that's the before, and then the after, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, the before, Then the after, Christ died for us. God had gone to bat for them, They seem to have forgotten that in the desert. Don't forget God's gracious rescue. By grace you have been saved, that's number one. Secondly, what was inhibiting them from becoming after people is that they had selective memory disorder, SMD. Sinners have an ever-present tendency, wrote a commentator, to loathe the will of God and return to that from which they have been saved. We kind of, in the olden days, called that backsliding, as we used to say. Backsliding into the sins that we vowed to leave and were forgiven for. In Proverbs 26, this is quite an illustration, says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. That's the before. However, God has an after. First Peter tells us, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. In Colossians 1. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the after. Israel suffered from selective memory disorder, worried about their own conditions, not recognizing the graciousness by which God had rescued them. Always wanting to go back. Thirdly, when God rescued his people from Egypt, he had a redemptive purpose in mind. When he saved them, he expected them to live a sanctified life. And he brings them to Mount Sinai, as you know, gives them the Ten Commandments. This is how you are to live in fellowship with me and with one another a life of faith, a life of holiness, a life of gratitude. You don't see that very often in the lives of the Israelites as they're journeying across the desert. Israel had been saved, and God expected a gratitude attitude. Their grumbling and their complaining about fleshly things was not what God expected from his people. That was the before. But then there's the after, where God said, you are now my special people. You are my holy people, because I am holy, and I expect you to live a holy life. Psalm 136 says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Rejoice always, says Thessalonians, always speak. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Any lessons there for us? And then fourth, the Israelites wanted to be before people because they had forgotten that that journey of sanctification, becoming more and more holy, Being tested by God to see what we're made of is often through a desert. You can call it an illness. You can call it temptation. You can call it a weakening of your faith at times. You can call it doubt. But that journey of becoming more and more holy, God doesn't come to you and me and say, You're holy now this is the way you ought to live because you're an after person we all know that satan is there too always knocking on the door of our hearts and it's often our journey is through a desert the Israelites probably thought that after their release from Egypt, it would be a cakewalk through the desert without any difficulties, without any challenges, no more enemies, no more dangers, no more problems. But as I said, we all know that life is not that way. All God promises is that he will be with us each step of the way. The Bible said, God is making all things new, but in his way, And in his time. And we need to remember that when our prayers aren't always answered right away, in our way. God has an agenda for his people. But he also has his own agenda. And they might not always be on the same page. Ephesians says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That's the before. But then the after, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the after. And then fifthly, the Israelites failed to trust God in the desert, and when they and us and us fail to trust God, what happens? We often take matters into our own hands. And when we do that, we start to think we can do better than God. And we abandon God. How did that happen in the desert? The Israelites said, God isn't here. God doesn't have our backs. Let's form our own God. Let's make a golden calf. That's who we're going to worship. They thought they could do better. I believe America is heading that way as well. How often don't we hear our leaders say, we can do better. We can do better. And not always with faith in God in mind and often forgetting the slogan, in God we trust. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Your voice alone, O Lord, can speak to me of grace. Your power alone, O Son of God, can all my sin erase. No other work but yours, no other blood will do. No strength but that which is divine can bear me safely through." That's after thinking, after thinking. And then lastly, the Israelites submitted to their fears. They were afraid. They thought it was safer in the before, in Egypt, in the desert. They were afraid, and they submitted to their fears. How often doesn't the Bible say, fear not, be still, and know that I am God. And when fear grips us, we lose hope, and when we lose hope, we lose our faith in salvation, in grace, in redemption, and in healing. Things will work out if we do what God says. 2 Timothy 1. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, that's fear, that's the before, but then the after, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Israel was bought with a price, the Passover lamb. They're released from the grips of slavery, and Pharaoh set them apart as a people not belonging to Pharaoh any longer, that's the before, but belonging to Jehovah God. He symbolically cleanses them in the crossing of the Red Sea and sets them further away from the grip of sin. That's the before. He tempers them and he tests them in the wilderness. Do you see yourself in this picture? He tempers them and tests them in the wilderness, wilderness so that they'll become his special people. And after they complete their journey, the promised land awaits them. You and I who believe in Jesus for our salvation were sometimes tempted by Satan to look back and believe his lies. God doesn't really exist. He doesn't care about you. He can make the before look so appealing at times even by telling us eat, drink, and be happy, you got time, but we're not before people, we're after people. Egypt has been taken out of us, we've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus on the cross. However, the cross, as I said this morning, couldn't hold him. Three days later, he rose again for our justification and now assures us of eternal life. 1 John says, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. In Romans 8, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear again, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The before is gone. We are after people. We didn't belong in slavery. We didn't belong in the desert. We are on our way to the promised land. We're after people. And the challenge is to act like after people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we covered a lot of ground in bringing to mind the journey of your early people, the Israelites, redeemed from the slavery in Egypt, pushed and encouraged to cross the desert in faith. But we know that they often failed. And the past began to look better and better all the time because they lost faith in you and confidence in your promises. And we pray, Lord, that at times, too, we have before thoughts, wondering if you're real, perhaps, Wondering if you can really be the God that can save us and bring us to the promised land. Wondering, Lord, when we see what's going around in your world, whether you're really in control. And maybe we don't always want to retreat to the past, but sometimes we become complacent and doubtful and wondering and losing, if we'll admit it, that sure confidence that faith in you can implant in us. And during times like that, Lord, remind us that we're after people. We're your special children, adopted through grace into your family And that you have our backs as we journey through this world and this life. And at times, Lord, when we wonder whether you're really there, maybe you're just testing us to see if we'll return to your word, if we'll be faithful to you, if we'll have confidence in your promises. Remind us, Lord, time and time again that we're not before people, we're after people. All because of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.